0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen
1: in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Caspar, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut.
2: It looks so good.
1: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature. And I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my <laughs> hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner.
2: Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash harrypotter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash harrypotter. That's P-R-O-S E.com com slash harrypotter.
1: Chapter 2. Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. Harry went down to breakfast next morning to find the three Dursleys already sitting around the kitchen table. They were watching a brand new television, a welcome home for the summer present for Dudley, who'd been complaining loud. I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
2: And I'm Casper Ter Kyle.
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
2: I remember arriving at school every morning, maybe when I was about 13 or 14, and before classes would start, I would go to the library. And I loved going to the library because it was me time. You know, I got to sit down and read a newspaper or two, and I felt very informed and worldly. And one day I was opening the newspaper just as normal, and I turned the first page, and suddenly there, on page three of a national British newspaper, is my mother completely stark naked. You know, it wasn't just her, to be clear. She was taking part in a protest against the invasion of Iraq. And it was one of those aerial photos where you see 25 people or so spell out a word, and they were spelling out the word peace. And I remember just feeling mortified. My mum hadn't told us she was going to do it, but she told us once she came home from doing it. But I had no idea that it would get that amount of publicity, and I felt so Mad. I was like, Mom, how dare you embarrass me? Everyone's going to think I'm a weirdo. Like, I didn't talk to her for about a week. Now, looking back, of course, I, it's actually kind of awesome. You know, I really respect my mom for doing something like that, even if at the time I was really embarrassed. So, just kind of thinking back about how my initial reaction has changed to my reaction today. Just really made me think about this theme of family. It's just interesting to think about how our relationships that are so primal with our family members can also transform and change so much. So I'm excited to explore this theme of family as we see Harry with the Dursleys here in chapter two.
1: First of all, Casper, your mom is the best. Second of all, the other thing that your story made me think of is that you felt so reflected by your mother in that moment that it felt as though she had the power to embarrass you, right? Like her actions reflect on you. And I I don't think that there are a lot of relationships in the world for which that's true. If person X in my life embarrasses themselves, they've embarrassed themselves. But if my mom embarrasses herself, she's embarrassing me. So I'm excited to explore this theme of family with you.
2: Vanessa, that's so true. And, you know, luckily, the way that you perform in these 30-second recaps doesn't reflect on me. So you go right ahead. I think it's your turn to go first.
1: I feel like it's going to be like 15 seconds. I'm nervous about elongating.
2: (laughs) Well, let's see how you do. I have
1: no idea. Okay.
2: Three, two, one.
1: Harry wakes up on his birthday and goes downstairs to the Dursleys, and it turns out that Dudley has gotten a new TV, and he gets the news that Aunt Marge, who isn't his aunt but is Vernon's sister, is coming to visit. And Harry hates Aunt Marge. Aunt Marge has all these dogs. Harry has a really bad history with Aunt Marge and her dogs. Um, And Harry says, I'll only behave, Vernon, if you promise to sign my Hogsmeade thing. Marge is really mean to Harry, and so Harry accidentally, on purpose, magically blows her up.
2: I mean, that, that's a pretty good synopsis. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Do you wish that I reflected on you now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. A little yeah. bit. I mean, I feel like by now it's nearly kind of a familial relationship.
1: Oh, I when you embarrass yourself, I definitely feel <laughs> implicated. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Are you ready to go, Casper? Yes. You know, Aunt Marge sort of reminds me of you. Just kidding. On your mark. <laughs> on your mark. Get set. Go.
2: You know, Aunt Marge is really a sort of character illustration of, of a woman I know well who really loves her dog. Um, you know, she, she really doesn't like to travel without the dog. She's she's overly attached and really puts the dog before all else. And I think we see that with Marge and Ripper. I, I don't know, Vanessa, does that <laughs> remind you of anyone? Um, other things that happen in this chapter, you know, at the end, uh, Harry is so overwhelmed by his anger, he grabs his trunk and leaves the house. And he's standing there outside number four Privet Drive and doesn't know what to do <laughs> i don't know if that counts as a 30 second recap
1: <laughs> so much is just i don't even know what that was
2: I feel like it was breaking the fourth wall of the recap maybe
1: <laughs> people are now gonna think i'm like some sad weirdo you think i'm inappropriately attached to my dog you just hate her you called her to you the other day and then when she came you went no no not too close
2: <laughs> that's true
1: <laughs> it's not inappropriate attachment to not hate her She is the best.
2: One of the things that I do think is interesting with pets, though, I didn't grow up with them at home. And I remember reading about a sociologist in Britain who talked about, you know, families think that their dog or their cat is more part of their family than a cousin or a grandparent often. And you can definitely see that in this chapter, right? Marge has, I think, 10, 12 dogs.
1: Yeah. And she doesn't come and visit the Dursleys more because she can't bear to leave the dogs.
2: Right, And she even when she does travel, she's like, oh, well, I can't leave Ripper because he'll just miss me too much. So she literally brings with her the dog on this big trip. There's this really interesting question of what is the bounds of family because people construct family in all sorts of ways, whether it's, you know, with a pet or in other ways.
1: Well, even in the chapter, we're given two examples of how to relate to a pet. We're given Marge and Ripper, but we're also given Harry with Hedwig and even with Errol. And so we're given a more quintessential positive view of what a relationship with a pet can be. But for me, I think that the reason that people feel so close to pets is because like a child, you have to take care of them. So because of that, you are attuned to their needs. You are attuned to their suffering. Whereas with people, you know, your mom can go and protest the Iraq War and come back and you didn't even know it happened. Your dog or your cat, right? Like you don't have that kind of distance from them. And so I think that there's something about dependency, creating a bond, and there's something about caretaking that I think really bonds things. And so, so yeah, when I chose to get my dog, there was a commitment aspect to it, right? In the choice of bringing her into my house, I committed to taking care of her. So I think commitment and caretaking – can make someone your family. I also think the other thing that can happen with chosen family is that you sort of look up one day and someone has become your family, you know, through seeing them every day, through beginning to rely on them, right? Like Ron and Harry, for example, there's no like ceremony of we will behave like brothers, but throughout the text, that's definitely what they
2: become. And actually, I think your idea of that caretaking is really crucial to forming that familial bond is important because Ron and Harry enter situations where they have to rely on each other. And, you know, further down the books, when that doesn't happen, it really feels like a break, right? It's more than just a friendship. There's something primal which has been broken. But I, I think you're right. Like that caretaking piece constructs family, you know, often people at the very margins of society. And, you know, I'm especially thinking of like LGBT youth who are like thrown out of their homes or when parents break with a child and and that child is then independent but not yet really ready to look after themselves, folks can really quickly create new family units or even in like gangs, right? A lot of that is about belonging and protection and caring for each other. And it has some violent expression for sure. But we're able to construct our families in really interesting ways. And whether that's with pets or whether it's, you know, if you're struggling to find a safe place to sleep, I think there's a connection there. I mean, the other thing that strikes me with extended family is that we kind of perform for them sometimes, right? Like there's the intimacy of your immediate family. But I think there's plenty of evidence in the text in this chapter that Dudley is put into a bow tie. Petunia is drinking coffee with her little finger sticking out. Vernon asks his sister, tea, Marge? And what will Ripper take? Right? That's like super posh language, which we don't see them using anywhere else in the books. So it seems like he's trying to inflate his status a little bit for his sister, which... You know, I think in some ways we do all the time, right? We clean the house before family comes over or, you know, you're you're trying to talk about your kids, you know, on the sports field or in, you know, their academics, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and to some extent we even see it with Harry, right? Because Harry is also performing in front of Marge and and he's doing it in order to get his Hogsmeade permission slip signed. But I feel like that's just a metaphor for all of the different... The different things that we want out of the performance for our extended family. Ooh,
2: that's fascinating. What, what do you think the others are getting out of it? Well, we see Dudley getting a 20-pound note, right, for opening the door.
1: Which is crazy. That
2: is great. I would take that job.
1: It's for a kiss, though, right? Oh,
2: that's true. He has to suffer a hug and a kiss.
1: Which is like a weird thing to commodify for your child. Yeah, he's actually getting paid to withstand a kiss for Marge, which is disturbing to me to, like, pay a child to be touched in a way that they don't want to be touched. But we can leave that there for now. I mean, I think that Vernon is obviously someone with a lot of pride, and so he gets... To show off in front of an audience. We know that he looks for an audience. We read that, you know, he takes the whole family outside to be like, look at my shiny car. That's right. And Marge is an audience that's brought into his house where he can show off his success.
2: And he tells really boring, long stories about the drilling business. Yeah, that's true. You kind of get to have a captive audience for stories that may be less than thrilling
1: we rarely get the opportunity to think about ourselves in terms of only our accomplishments and the good things that we've done. And I feel like when you don't see someone for several months, they're like, what's new with you? You're given that opportunity to just like tell them the good stuff.
2: Vanessa, I feel like this whole conversation is kind of skirting around this core question of what are we willing to suffer for our family? Like, what are we willing to withstand? Because there comes a point when we're not. And and Harry leaves at the end of this chapter, right? He's had enough. So how do you think about that? Like, what are we willing to withstand?
1: Yeah, I think we see very clearly, you know, Marge has the most horrible sentence in this chapter to me. There are a few sentences in this series that just stand out to me as vicious and awful. And One of them is in book four when Voldemort says about Cedric, kill the spare. Like, that just haunts me. And another one is in this chapter, which is when Marge says, if there's something wrong with the bitch, there's something wrong with the pup. I mean, just implying weird, like, social Darwinistic, eugenic implications, which is just the worst. But that is not what tips Harry. Harry endures that, which I'm not sure that I would. What actually gets Harry to blow her up is when she says that his parents died in a car crash. And I mean, that conversation gets really complicated and really nasty. She, you know, insults his parents. But I think it's that there's still a primal wound in Harry about how long he was lied to about his parents and the fact that he doesn't have access to his parents. And she is pushing just that button on him. And, you know, we can withstand a lot from our families, and there are certain buttons that, you know, I might be able to stand, but somebody else can't, and vice versa. And when that gets crossed, I do think that we have to take care of ourselves, and there are certain familial relationships that, if they are abusive and are poking at a primal wound, it's within our
2: rights to leave. Right. I mean, Vanessa, the thing that is really illustrated by that really nasty line that Mudge utters that links Harry to his parents, this idea of bad blood, which, you know, hello, Voldemort, right? The, the whole evil that we're fighting throughout this book is exactly that kind of mentality. It does raise this bigger question of nature versus nurture. And the miracle that I think that's throughout the first couple of books is how on earth Harry remains this generous, sweet, good child. Sure, with maybe slightly over curious tendencies but nonetheless like he has endured torture really child abuse for years and nonetheless remains generous and good and so for me kind of is a symbol that his good nature is able to withstand this horrible nurture that he receives from the dursleys i mean it's an age-old question but like how do you think about that combination of or the opposition between nature and nurture in the characters that we see here
1: i mean i i don't have an answer to the millennial question of nature versus nurture. But it makes me wonder – I hate the sentence If there's something wrong with the bitch, there's something wrong with the pup. I mean, it's degrading, right, comparing Harry and his mother to dogs. It's It implies breeding rather than like having a child and raising a child. There are all sorts of things wrong with it. And I'm made uncomfortable by the fact that to a minor extent – It is true, not in the way that Marge is saying it, but we do get our parents' genes and my parents are short and I'm short. You you can't biologically separate yourself. In my family, we have a story about a brother and sister who hadn't spoken in 20 years until the brother needed a liver transplant and they got back in touch, right? like, And she helped and it didn't make them best friends again, but it brought them back into each other's lives. And that was something that even though they hadn't spoken literally in decades, the fact that they had the same blood mattered. I mean, it just literally physically mattered. And obviously, I think that you can make your own family and we have a lot of adopted people in our family and they 100 percent are full family members. But we also can't deny that at some level, Harry has Lily's eyes and James's hair. And so like there is biology here.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. And sometimes it's painfully true because, you know, we see Voldemort really struggling with that question. His father is a muggle. You know, he is a half-blood, using that phrase, and and is haunted by that history. It really defines him. And, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I think it really comes back to the wisdom that we found at the end of book two, that it's the choices that make us who we are. I feel like That is still part of the picture here, that even if you're, you know, shaped by your genetics or your DNA or, you know, your blood type, that we still have choices and agency that we can shape our own experience. So maybe they're not totally independent of one another, but nor do we have to, you know, allow the people who we come from to utterly define us. Um, That's a it's a difficult question. It's a fine line.
0: Planning for your next trip?
1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance
0: Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open
1: enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Caspar, I just got a wonderful wonderful haircut.
2: It looks so good.
1: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair. And that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, prose is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in depth consultation to their made to order model. And so I used the review and refine feature. And I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner.
2: Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P R O S E dot com slash Harry Potter. Vanessa, one of the things that really struck me in this chapter, which I think is true about family, is that even though, you know, you can live really in close quarters and you know people for decades and, you know, you really know these people better than most other people you'll ever encounter, they still remain a mystery. And there were a couple of things that struck me in this chapter. You know, Dudley is, I don't know, he's Behaving in ways that to me seem kind of mysterious, he's eating a lot. He seems he's uh, eating
1: literally constantly. He never stops eating. Yeah, they move a television into the kitchen for him so he can eat
2: continuously because the walk to the fridge is so far. And and in some ways, you know, that can be funny, but it kind of is also a little worrying. And it does seem like he's only engaged when you know Harry's being made fun of or he's getting money. And to me, those are kind of worrying signs. And yeah, so I just wanted to ask you about this idea of. You know, family, even though they're so close, also being mysterious. Yeah, but I think that to
1: a large extent, we're mysteries to ourselves. I mean, Harry or the narrator complains that Petunia is so nosy and Harry thinks that Petunia would love to be the one who finds Sirius Black. But we know that Harry is incredibly nosy. (laughs) Like Harry is always sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. And he doesn't see that in himself, right? He justifies it as something else. So I think that we're all a mystery to one another. It's something that, you know, Virginia Woolf talks about that we have the cotton wool pulled over our eyes and there are moments of interaction with another person or with nature in which you can see clearly through the cotton wool. But that for the most part, we're looking at each other through that wool and I think that it's more acutely felt in a family because of the proximity. But, you know, it's something that we see in marriages. It's People are a constant surprise to ourselves. And I I know that I've done things where I'm like, whoa, I never would have thought I would do that.
2: And I think that's especially true when you're a child. You know, I think back to the story that I shared at the beginning of this episode where I looked up at my mom as – My parent, you know, and at some point, I think she literally told me she was like, I'm not just your mom, you know, I'm also Suzanne. Like, I I am more than just the role that I have in relationship with you, which included this moment of political activism that me as a 13, 14 year old, I, I just didn't even think of my mother as a citizen or kind of someone with a civic mindset. So I do think there's parts of our lives that we don't share with our family necessarily, sometimes for good reason, but it does make me want to be more curious, I guess, about getting to know my family in a different way and and that happens i think sometimes by itself i remember leaving home and my sisters all leaving home when they were 18 as well and our relationship has kind of shifted and matured and grown in this way where i'm where i now think of them just as friends as much as family you know they're cool and i want to hang out with them which is definitely not how i thought about them when i was 13 so there yeah there, there is this kind of spark of mystery there i guess
1: right and there's sometimes a necessity to have very strong boundaries within families. I think that sometimes moms want to be more than a mom to a child too soon, right? Like there's a fine line between these things. And there's a fine line between being part of a family and just walking out on that family, right? You're still biologically somebody's family, even if you leave. But if you were adopted and leave? Are you still part of the family, right? And I think that these are all self-conceptions and are self-conceptions that can change over time. I mean, the fact that Harry walks out at the end, I think shows that There is the possibility at a certain and what's terrible is that in a lot of different circumstances, we don't have the actual ability to make that choice. But sometimes we have the privilege of saying, do you know what? You are part of a family that I can't be a part of, and I'm going to choose this other family. And we can choose to make our families in any number of ways. And I think we see Harry do that. We see him make a family with Ron and Hermione and become a surrogate brother to the rest of the Weasleys, so much so that... He feels comfortable showing up at Fleur and Bill's house later. This family gets generated throughout the books where he's removing himself more and more from his biological family and forming more and more this other family.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Now is the time in which we get to do a spiritual practice, and we're going to do floralegia again. And just as a reminder to us all, floralegia is the practice of picking. A couple of words or a sentence or even just one word from the text, it's just something that sparkles at you, that calls out to you, and you write it down. And Casper and I have each picked one of these sparklets, and we are going to read them to you and put them next to each other and see what they communicate to one another and what wisdom we can get when these two things are put next to each other. So Casper, what sparklet did you pick for us today?
2: I picked just two words. And they are written in all caps, so I'm gonna gonna say them pretty loud. And the sparklet I found was more brandy. What what did you find, Vanessa?
1: I picked the sparklet Ministry of Magic.
2: Hmm. Lots of Ms. More Brandy, Ministry of Magic. Yeah. Why why did you choose the sparklet you found?
1: Well, ministry is an interesting word. So the way that it's used in the context of this chapter is Harry is talking about how he's already gotten into trouble with the Ministry of Magic for using magic at home. And so he wants to avoid that. And I'm interested in phrases that we say so often they lose their individual meaning. So sense of humor is one of my favorite phrases that we just say all the time. It's like we're saying that there's an extra sense. There's like sight, smell, taste, and humor. Or it's I have a sense of humor, right? Like, but we just say it all the time to mean somebody's funny. And ministry of magic to me is one of those phrases that we just say it, right? Like, and we mean the government in Harry Potter. But why is it called a ministry? Like, the other meaning of ministry is to be a minister, to minister to somebody, to almost be a church. And it's not called, like... The Ministry of Magical People, the Ministry to the Magical World, the Government of which is in Wizards. There are so many things that could be called. And instead, it's a Ministry of Magic. So I just think there are a lot of different ways we can read that phrase. But what about you? Why did you pick more brandy?
2: <laughs> this stood out to me because, well, first of all, it's in all caps. So, you know, I remember Stephanie picking out Ginny, which was all in caps as well. But this comes at a moment where the veneer of performance has been broken, right? Harry says to Marge, after Marge is insulting James, his dad, Harry says he was not. And Vernon's reaction is to like try and paper it over by shouting more brandy, kind of, you know, let's just keep moving on. Let's not pay attention. And as we've been thinking about this theme of family, I think there are lots of ways that we avoid conflict perhaps or we paper over pain that does exist, right? There's, there's real arguments that happen sometimes. And there's a kind of a shorthand way that we avoid them. And alcohol is often one, you know, you think of family reunions or getting together over the holidays, and alcohol is often a big part of it. And in this instance, it really goes horribly wrong. And so for me, it was an interesting kind of maybe an idea of a catalyst or like this image of papering over a crack. I don't know, I just in those two words, there was a lot communicated for me
1: yeah it could be generous right it could be more brandy like you are a guest in my home
2: exactly please
1: have some brandy or it absolutely can be like look over here don't worry about it and then he's also like getting her drunk
2: That actually, that idea of look over here is kind of what we associate with magic tricks. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking of your Ministry of Magic. In some ways, the whole Ministry of Magic is a sideshow or it's like, don't look over here. Um, So I'm suddenly seeing a connection between our two little sparklets that both of them have to do with distraction or pulling people's attention elsewhere. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Muggles don't have obliviation. They don't get to say like, you didn't hear this thing. We have alcohol. And so it's like if this fight were happening in a wizard household, it would be going down so differently, right? It's it's very much rooted in the fact that Harry has this, this secret, I mean, as you said.
2: The other thing that I'm seeing as a relationship between our two little sparklets is that, as you say, that kind of more brandy phrase is a very – muggle phrase. And the Ministry of Magic, of course, is unknown to muggle. So it's really about the magical world. And I'm thinking within a family, having a sister who is a witch, if you're not someone with magical abilities, right? Like within a family, we can have these real differences between them and completely different life experiences. And that those relationships can be one of understanding and learning or one of separation and pain. And so I'm just thinking about how you know, how we might engage difference within our family, whether that's political differences at the Thanksgiving dinner table or, you know, just differences of where we live, the, the life that we enjoy. You know, I often think of this, especially as a gay person, you know, straight couples have gay children. And so I think one of the reasons why we've seen such a big change in attitudes to marriage equality and other LGBT issues is partly because straight people have had to encounter gay people just within their families. And if if we think about poverty that's less likely to happen, right? Rich people don't necessarily have poor kids. And so there's something so powerful about having differences within a boundary of love, which holds us together enough to to sit down and have a conversation. Of course, it doesn't always happen like that. But I'm seeing that here within these two phrases that with two worlds being put next to each other in a kind of uncomfortable way.
1: Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm dropping into your feed to let you know that starting June 23rd, you are invited to a class called Discovering Your Own Patron Saints, a guided workshop with Natalie Folkerts. In this six-session class, you will explore beloved characters from literature who have jumped off the page and made their way into the moral fabric of your life. The first week of this class, you're going to explore what we mean by patron saints, and then each subsequent week will be devoted to a different value, wonder, imagination, grief, and courage. If you are seeking spiritual guidance outside of the constraints of formal religion, if you are someone who finishes a novel and feels like you have said goodbye to new friends, then this class is for you. Register before the first class on June 23rd by going to notsorryworks.com. That's N O T S O R R Y W O R K S.com.
2: This week's voicemail is from Liza Mann.
0: Hi, Vanessa and Casper. My name is Liza, and I am a first year medical student who loves listening to your podcast. It helps me keep my mind off of studying and just do something else. <laughs> I'm calling in to talk a little bit about uh, heartbreak and how you discussed it in Chapter 12. Um, for me, I found a little bit of empathetic heartbreak when we were finishing up our, our class uh, in neurology and neuroanatomy. In that class, we had to, uh, do dissections of human cadaver brains in which we would identify structures just to better understand some of the, some of the disorders that can happen with the brain. In that class, we also had specimens of people that had strokes as well as people that had Alzheimer's just so that we could understand how it affects the, the brain physically. And I found myself deeply moved and heartbroken for these patients and their families. And I think that what really did that for me was the knowledge of what had gone on because we were understanding what, um, what the, sim- what symptoms were happening with these kind of diseases. And when I was listening to your podcast, I thought about how Harry understood some of the life experiences that Tom Riddle had had. And I think about when he, at the very last book, is in King's Cross Station and sees Voldemort as a baby dying, and I wonder if he had the same kind of empathy because he had the knowledge of what he had been through, and I wonder what you guys have to think about that. Thank you so much for making this podcast. It makes my life a little bit bearable. Please keep it up. Thanks.
2: Liza, I'm so taken by your voicemail. And I think, you know, what a privilege to have the experience that you've had to understand, you know, medically, biologically, what happens in those situations, which can really be experiences of great suffering. And I think you illustrate so beautifully that when we understand contexts more fully, more deeply, the The natural human response is one of empathy, and I'm so glad that there are doctors and nurses and and people of great medical knowledge like you who embody not only the knowledge and the technical skill but also the human heart because that is really perhaps the most important part of healing in some way and so i'm I'm so grateful for that perspective and and for your voicemail so thank you Vanessa It's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this week's chapter. Who did you choose for a blessing this week?
1: I would like to bless Petunia. I just think that this is probably really hard for her sitting there and just enduring Marge's abuse and listening to Marge speak ill of her sister. And I guess what I want to bless is the moment where it's if somebody insults one of my brothers or a friend, I'm like, okay, I can talk badly about them, but you can't. And so I don't want to bless Petunia for anything specifically that she does, but just for existing as Lily's sister, I think that having people in relationship with you matters and their relationship, whether or not it was a healthy one, mattered. And I would imagine that it's really hard for Petunia to listen to Marge insult Lily like that. And who would you like to bless this week, Casper?
2: My blessing is for Dudley. There's this moment where Harry gets admonished by Vernon and Dudley turns to look. There's something that he enjoys about kind of turning his head and just looking at someone else suffer. And I think in many ways we all do that, you know, when you're driving past, like maybe there's been a car crash or something's happened and you see a police vehicle and everyone turns to look and it creates this huge backlog on the roads, right? And it takes such strength to try and not look. And and that's what my blessing is for Dudley, to try and find joy in something else than looking at someone else's suffering. It's a cheap way to get a hit of self-confidence, you know, to by like bringing someone else down. So I guess this blessing is for all of us who feel like, you know, who want to take an easy shot at someone to try and rein that in and try and focus on the things for which we can be grateful rather than pulling someone else down.
1: You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Check out HarryPotterSacredText.com to find tickets to our live shows. We're really excited. In the West Coast, we're going to Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and L.A., and those tickets are on sale now. And the tickets for our East Coast shows with Philly, New York, and D.C. will be on sale soon. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. And next week, we'll be reading Chapter 3, The Night Bus, through the theme of secrets. We'll also be hosting Jack Bird from the Harry Potter Alliance, so be sure to join us.
2: This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by Ariana Nedelman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, Casper Kyle. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. and we are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on Panoply.fm. Thanks to Liza Mann for this week's voicemail, Rebecca and Charlie Dudley, and Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you next week.
1: (laughs) Why do you think she's a lesbian?
2: She's a massive, she lives with 12 dogs at home and like is super butch. She
1: obviously is a thing with the colonel.
2: I don't think so. I think they're both.